Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. So this is new for us, Shy. Normally we're on television together, and I don't know about you, but I kind of love the anonymity of the podcast because nobody can see what we're wearing. <laughs> this is so much fun. And of course, you know, I sent you the picture of me in my row drinking wine with my hair up in a towel, so we're good. <laughs> I'm going to post that, by the way, on social media, and I'm going to copy it too. I want one too, but where did you get that huge bottle of wine? Um, it's not huge. It's just about product placement. So I put it far up against the camera. Oh so it's in the foreground and I'm in the background. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. You'll all know what we're talking about when you go to the website and you see it. This is episode 13. We're talking about managing trades. And the great thing about Shy, one of the many great things about Shy is he has worked in three different countries. And what I have learned from him over the years is that it really doesn't matter what country you're working in. The rules are the same. And so, Shai, with your experience working in uh, the United States, in Israel, in Canada, what do you think is the most problematic thing for most designers when it comes to managing their trades? Uh, okay, wait, let's go back for a second, because were you not going to do managing clients? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. We're going to do this again from the beginning. I get a pass on this one, I think. And we'll learn a valuable lesson right off the bat. Photos can be manipulated by placing objects in the foreground, making them look huge. And podcasts can be edited and made new. a fresh start to episode 13. And yes, we are talking about managing clients with Shai DeLuca Tomasi, an interior designer and a great friend of mine. Before we jump into the episode, I do want to say thank you to our newest sponsor, and I'm very, very grateful to this particular sponsor, Kravit Fabrics, Kravit Inc. I have been a loyal customer of Kravit Fabrics since 1991, and that's not because I'm a nice person. That's because they deliver unparalleled customer service. What do I mean by that? Of course, they sell me beautiful fabrics and beautiful wall covers and now carpets and curated cravat as well, furniture. But what I love about them, in addition to the fantastic products they provide, which make me look good in front of my clients, is their customer service. When I have an issue, when I have a question, they are immediately responsive to my needs. They understand what it is that I do, and they immediately satisfy me so I can, in turn, satisfy my clients. Established in 1918, they are still a family-run business, which I love, and they remain industry leaders supporting the community. So thank you so much to Kravit for reaching out and sponsoring the podcast. And for those of you who aren't shopping at Kravit, I really encourage you to support them as they really do care about the trade and your trade business. And to be perfectly frank and even crass, you can make a lot of money when you sell fabrics to clients. So it's a win-win. Thank you, Kravit, Inc. I'm especially eager to hear Shai's perspective on this subject because he has worked with clients in three separate countries, first in Israel, then in the United States, now in Canada. Shai, thank you so much for being here. And let me get this topic off the ground by asking you, what is the main problem designers face when it comes to managing clients? You know, I think the biggest challenge that designers have is it's always that initial I don't want to overstep my bound or I'm worried that if I say something in terms of how to manage a client that works for me and my company, somehow I'll offend the client and somehow that will lead to some, you know, some sort of detriment, whether it be I lose a project or the client's not going to work with me again. And, and I think once you get over that initial hurdle of I'm not, I, I have to understand that what I'm about to do right now in terms of managing 
expectations and having that that talk or whatever it is with the client that at the end of the day, it's both beneficial for you as well as the client. So so get over that hurdle. Don't worry about that. How am I going to make them feel? Are they going to be offended by it? It's, it's really coming out in the wording. And like I say, as long as you're able to explain to them that this is for their benefit as much as it is for yours, I think you're golden. Okay, that is so funny because when I asked you that question, I fully expected you to launch into how challenging clients are and how it's our job to train them to behave well, almost like you train a puppy. Uh, And instead, you went to another side of the equation, which is we have a lack of confidence sometimes. Uh, We are people pleasers. And sometimes those two things combined mean we don't just say the thing, just say the thing that the client needs to hear. I agree. And, and I feel like, you know, clients at the end of the day, I mean, we, it, it's a fine line that we walk because, you know, like you said, we want to be people pleasers, but we are also obviously running a business. I think that um, that fine line when you are walking it, if there needs to be leaning one way or the other, you have to lean the way towards uh, what's beneficial for your business. Because at the end of the day, you know, that, that's what we're working for. That's what we're working towards. Clients are um, sometimes a lot smarter sometimes than we give them credit for. And, and what I mean by that is maybe we think we're saying something in order to soften a blow somehow, but you do that enough times, a client realizes that, you know, you're just not straight shooting with them. And and I find, and over the years of experience, I find that that straight shooting is much better and they much appreciate it more um, than, you know, trying to fluff, if you will, uh, what it is that you're about to say or, or, or a, a difficult conversation that you might have to have with them. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they are hiring us for an opinion. Yeah. And sometimes it's the giving of the opinion that gives us so much anxiety. We're just afraid to give the opinion. That, that's actually a great point. And I mean, I had this conversation um, with an intern of mine uh, last week. And one of the biggest challenges that um, I find that new designers or uh, people who are coming into the industry, whether you are a designer yourself or you're working within the, the, the trade, is is that initial confidence of understanding that you, you exactly like you say, are being paid for your, your expertise and your opinion. And there are definitely ways in which, um, you know, clients are going to come to you and they're going to say, you know, I want A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Most of the times, these clients who come to you, whether through recommendation or they've, you know, found your work on a website, they come to you because there's something about you that meshes with them. So I find that if that's the initial kind of jumping off point, that they, they know a little bit about you or they've seen your work or they've heard about you through recommendations, then they know about what your aesthetic is. They know about what we usually do, what we, what we enjoy doing. They've seen us, um, you know, whether it be on television, whether it be through, through, the, uh, through our website. So, so having that conversation with them and understanding that, you know, they're paying for your time, for your expertise is not just out of the blue. They didn't pick your name out of a hat. So mm-hmm. you, you should embrace that. You should understand that, you know what, this is what they're paying for. I'm not going to be afraid to say what I have to say because that's what we want to give them the biggest bang for their buck. And that's what they're paying for. Can you think back, shy to some of the more challenging things that you've had to tell clients? Was it that something they loved wouldn't work with the new design vision they had? Was it all of their stuff didn't work? Like, What kind of conversations have you had with clients that were perhaps a little challenging? You know, I think um, one of the most challenging um, it's actually a recent client who had purchased uh, a home, a condominium, and for whatever reason that fell through. But between the time that they purchased the condominium and the time that it fell through, and this was before hiring me, uh, they decided to go out and purchase furniture based off of a, a floor plan. So this was a new build. They had never mm-hmm. seen, they had not been in the space, and they went out and ordered all this beautiful custom furniture for that particular space. Wow. The sale of that place fell through. They then hired me because they found themselves in a predicament, which, by the way, you know, oftentimes people will hire you as they get themselves into a pickle and they realize the value of of a designer and they will hire you and then say, now I have all this furniture. This is our new home. Make it work. Right. And And, And they spend a lot of money on it, too, by the way. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, they, they, and, and that was the challenge because for me, you know, had it been 
the other way around. Had they hired me first and we had gone through the process and we had said, okay, here are the pieces that you enjoy. You, you know, you enjoy these companies, you want to buy from these companies, that's great. These are investment pieces, but let's make sure that A, either we're getting commitment from somebody saying that these floor plans are are the final plans, there will be no changes, which by the way, small tip for people at home. I mean, you know this when you're buying a new build, those floor plans are never what actually comes out. Think of them as a suggestion. (laughs) Oh my goodness, exactly. It's a total suggestion. I mean, if you're going to spend money and invest in in good pieces off of a floor plan, then you know, you know, you need to be down in Vegas because or Florida, because I have some swamp land to sell you. I mean that it's it's ridiculous. You you have to be able to be in the space uh, to know exactly how it's going to work. So that aside, that conversation was probably one of the biggest challenges we had right off the bat. You know, having to explain to them I'm sorry that you know that you've put this money into this. We'll try to see if we can reuse some of these pieces, but I can't guarantee it. Now, having said that, I also sometimes have to say to someone, well, if you're going to be steadfast in the fact that you need to use these pieces of furniture because you have invested in them, and you are saying to me, you know, there's no other way around this, you have to use these pieces of furniture. At the end of the day, sometimes that challenging conversation has to be my reputation, you know, surpasses the fact that I understand that you need to use these pieces of furniture. When someone walks into the space and says, well, that's an interesting sectional that you have, you know, with a left-hand turn facing out into a room that has no business being there, <laughs> why is that there? I don't want my name attached to that. So, so you know, you have to... You have to pick and choose, and you have, but you have to be steadfast, and you have to understand, hey, yes, we are people pleasers, but your business surpasses all that. Your name surpasses all that. You, you might lose that one client right now, but that'll deter from a lot of other people coming into that space and you not losing those potential clients as well. Well, that's right. And in fact, if the client goes far without you and everybody says that's a weird choice, the fact of the matter is they may come back to you at a later date. But sure. um, it can be difficult to have those conversations. And I think the more you're in the business, the easier it gets. Absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, I think that like with any job or any profession, the, the more experience you have and the more challenges you face over the years, I mean, it, it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I think it's a State Farm commercial where they have those funny, interesting State Farm claims that you never think actually happen. But they say, you know what, over the years, we've, we've, we've really faced everything. So we know how to deal with it better now at this point. And, that, and I think that, that that holds true to really to really any profession. The more experience you gain, the more challenges you face, really then have that toolkit with you that you know, well, you know, I've dealt with it this way, it worked or it didn't work. Mm-hmm. I'll know for next time I have to deal with uh, in the opposite way or continue doing it the way that I did it. Somehow this is reminding me of an old hairdresser I used to go to and above his desk, he had a little sign that said, I'm a beautician, not a magician. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because everybody's bringing a photo of Michelle Pfeiffer and say, do this, make me that. And, um, Amen, amen, amen. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. We have to accept that we have some limitations. uh, But you touched on this earlier, uh, and that's the idea of being candid, being frank, uh, having having real integrity with the clients and saying, I can make this and this work, but over here this situation is untenable and I can't make it work. And I feel so strongly about it. Uh, if you decide to go against my wishes, it's not a project I'm, I can associate with. And that that can be really hard to do, especially if you don't have a lot of clients. So we do have to acknowledge that for some people, if you're just getting started, you know, you may feel that you have to take any client that comes your way and you're going to somehow have to have the courage to tell them it just simply will not work. Absolutely. I agree. Like I say, at the beginning, it might, you know, make sense for you financially right now, but that challenge of looking ahead, which for, for designers starting out or for any profession starting out, it's hard because like you say, you know, you might have a few clients and, and, and you need to be making the money, but be conscious of the fact, whether you decide to take that client or not, be conscious of the fact what that might uh, cause in terms of a snowball effect in future. Will that client then go back and share this information with others? I mean, you and I both know that word of mouth is huge in our industry. So I would much rather a client say, he didn't want to work with me because of whatever reason, then this is what, this is, you know, we gave him the project and this is what he did. 
and it was something that was against my wishes. So true, so true. And this sort of being shy to say the thing or being shy to speak your truth uh, also applies to the presentation. So you're going to show the client options and you really want them to go with this sofa and this set of drapes. You do have to have the courage to say, um, this is my recommendation. I want you to choose this sofa and these drapes. And when I first started, I would do five, six, seven, eight choices because I wanted them to think uh, I was so talented and I could do anything. <laughs> and I could just see them looking terrified, yeah. like, doesn't she know which one is the right choice? I want to do the right choice. So now I know I have to say, this is the sofa I want. These are the drapes I want. And say yep. it with confidence and not be afraid. You know, that, that's, that's true. And, and I think that as time goes on and you learn how to deal with clients or different clients, um, you know, through experience, you'll find that there are the clients who uh, will just take your, your, your word at what it is at word. And then, of course, there are the more technical clients. And when I say technical, I mean, you know, for whatever reason, a large portion of my clientele happens to be lawyers in the law community, and they're very logical people. So, you know, I can say to them, you know, I, I think that uh, I want to do this so far with it. But logically, and there always is logic behind what we do, they want to know why it is you've said what you've said. So you might need to get technical. You might need to, you know, uh, uh, talk not only about the beauty aspect of it, but the more uh, technical aspect of things as well. So you should be able to answer those questions as well for any case. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. And one tip I would give everybody too, and this is my experience and I'll bet Shai will agree with this, the higher my rate goes, the faster they'll take my word for it. <laughs> I oh, found yeah. when, I, when I first started out and I was $75 an hour, they wanted to verify my choice uh, 10 yes. different ways. But today yep. I'm three twenty five an hour, and all they're doing is trying to get through the meeting as quickly as possible. And they want to know at the end of the day, Kimberly, what would you do? And I can say, you know, swiftly, this is exactly what I would do. And like you said, most of the time they'll just do what I say to do. I absolutely agree with you. I think that there is a certain perception in most industries that you know when you when you pay a little bit more for something it's because it's worth paying that money they're paying for that experience so the more years the more time you spent obviously you can allow yourself to charge more because they're getting something that nobody else is 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 uh, able to provide at that level and the reality is you do have to step it up when you're charging those yes. higher fees and providing yep. credible service. So the impetus is, is on us to deliver once we're charging those rates. Shai, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you what your hourly rate is, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So I charge two seventy five an hour. You know you need to raise uh, that, right? I know I need to raise that. I know I need now to Now that you heard that. mine, yeah. you know, like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to raise it right now. Yeah, no, I actually, yeah, I actually charge two seventy five an hour. So, so listen to yours. Actually, um, it, well, <laughs> there's going, there's going to be a little bit of change uh, coming <laughs> tomorrow. Um, absolutely. No, I, 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 I started out uh, when I started out. I was actually at sixty five dollars an hour. So I was even a little bit less than you were. And and when I had started out, I actually started out in the U S. So that was sixty five dollars American compared to where I am right now, which is in Canada. So uh, it, it, it's 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 something that. Uh, I think it's really important to look at what other industry professionals, when, if, we're, if we're going into rates right now, look at what other industry professionals at your level are charging. And don't be afraid to make that change. And it can be a change overnight. I mean, I've had clients who have been returning clients for years. And when I started out, obviously, I was charging them a lot less than what my rates are now. And I have absolutely no qualms about saying to them, our rates have increased. Because I've had clients say to me, well, we didn't pay you know, that amount back then. And I said, well, back then I was a junior designer. Uh, I'm, I'm no longer that person. So as my experience has increased, as my, my expertise has increased, my rates have gone up as well. Mm. And we won't need to spend, just like you say, as much time on something as I can, you know, kind of bang it out quicker now, but you're going to have to pay for it. Right. And we are more fast. We are more efficient. We've learned Absolutely. a few things over the years. So um, that's just a real push for anybody listening who is thinking like, I could never charge that much. I'm telling you, you can. Um, you, you definitely, Shai's advice is right on, uh, meet other industry professionals, find out what they're charging, 
but don't be surprised to find out that they're undercharging. Um, yes. So as a community, it's definitely a conversation we want to have on a more regular basis. Be comfortable in the fact that you know what you are worth and be comfortable in the fact that you're able to articulate your feelings on your worth. I think that that is probably, when, when going back to your first question, you know, maybe what, what are the differences between clientele in different parts of the world? I think that in North America, Canada in particular, and then the U.S., and then Israel, I think... Um, being able to just give ourselves the accolades that maybe other people already give us, we sometimes feel very, uh, almost like we need to be so humbled that we're not allowed to kind of make ourselves out where we should be or where other people see us. We're, we're okay right. with other people saying it, but we don't like to say it about ourselves. You know, I mean, Kimberly and I, uh, we, we went to Israel together in 2013. And I mean, you, I, I mean, I'm from there, so I know, but you had seen it, I guess, for the first time. People are much more blunt, much more open, and people are okay to say what they think they're worth. And, you know, if you don't like it, then, you know, Mm -hmm. Bye. <laughs> but um, it's, 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 it's okay to do it. And not only is it okay, it's worth it because it's just going to save you as a designer a lot of heartache and going back afterwards and thinking, oh, you know, I should have, why didn't I? And I should have said it. Once you get over that initial uh, say it out loud, say it to that first client, you're, you, you'll be good to go. The next time is going to be easier and the third time will be even that much more easier. It's, it's so true. And if you're involved in any kind of an association, I know you're all members of Business of Design. I hope you're all members of Business of Design. <laughs> but other support communities as well, insist that you talk about fees and you talk real facts about what people are charging because too often we act like this is some sort of top secret information that you cannot share with anyone. Um, right. My feeling is everybody should put their rates on their website so clients can see mm -hmm. it. And so the clients who are going to be attracted to the level of value you provide will call you and you won't have to return a bunch of phone calls to clients who are looking for a different level of service. But anyway, we're veering off course. So I'm going to bring us back here and we're going to talk about the other side of the equation with managing clients, which is... How do you keep your clients, for lack of a better way to describe it, Shai, how do you keep them in line? How do you keep them on a path trusting that you're going to take care of everything? Because at the end of the day, isn't that really where the conflict comes in? The client it has some reservations that we're handling things uh, in their yes. best interest. So how do you keep clients in line? I wish I could think of a nicer way to say that. Sometimes we don't need to say it in a nicer way. Let's just be blunt and, you know, say what it is. And, and, and you, but you're right. How, how do you keep your clients in line? I mean, I, it, without keeping clients in line, projects can turn into disasters very quickly. And um, I think one of the uh, easiest tips that I can give is I always like to create a script, uh, a script for questions for my initial conversations with uh, my, my prospective uh, clients. And, and when I say that, each client that I have, and we're talking about, you know, I, I've been around and working since 2002, each client that I have is a new experience for me. It could be the same client that I've worked with and it's a new project. Each time something new comes about and with each client, each project, new questions or new concerns or new whatever it is comes about. So I always like to sit down a couple days before and before that initial meeting with a client, the initial consultation, I will sit down and I'll go through kind of like, um, you know, a list of questions and answers, most frequently asked questions and answers that aren't necessarily questions and answers that clients have asked me, but they're questions and answers that I have come up with based on projects that I've had. Mm -hmm. And I'll sit down with a client and I will take that time and I will go through each of those questions, I give them a copy, and and that what that usually does is it will open the lines of communication. Whereas otherwise, that initial consultation with a client, not only is it sometimes a little bit, um, you know, we hold back a little bit as designers, but sometimes clients are, uh, if it's somebody that, for example, has seen Kimberly, you and I on television, that initial conversation sometimes is very much they're very quiet because it's a personality that they're not really used to having in their home. Uh, all of a sudden is now in their home. So maybe it's not that maybe it's just right. the fact that, you know what, they've never worked with a trade in this manner before. So they don't know how to act with you. So they might be on their best behavior the same way that, you know, we tend to be on our best behavior. When I have this list of questions that I bring to a client. Um, and like I say, each time it's going to be different because it's based on the different projects. Uh, it, it really, it opens up and all of a sudden those, those kind of barriers come down. 
and they feel a little bit more open to being able to say, okay, well, if you asked, if you brought up this question, then that leads me to this question. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot out of that first, um, that first uh, consultation with that simple list of questions. Very good. So are you kind of instructing them about the process of working with you, the protocol for working with you, how the relationship's going to work as you're asking them those questions? Absolutely. So I think, um, you know, the, the, uh, um, the biggest one is really kind of decide how uh, you will and won't work. Uh, before before that conversation with the client. So so each time it really should be the same and as time goes on it becomes easier. It's more important, I feel, about the ways that you won't work rather than the ways that you will. And what do I mean by that? I mean, obviously, you know, designers who are starting out are probably more willing to do things that perhaps now as a more seasoned designer, I would say, okay, you know what? This might not be worth my time or it might not be worth your time in terms of what you're paying me to do. It just, it, it's not something that we would take on at this time. So what are you not willing to do? What are your deal breakers? That's really important right off the bat. And sometimes that might lead to that consultation being the last that you're going to see that person. But to go back to a little bit what we spoke to at the beginning, it's it's better to lose it at that point and, and know that, that you wouldn't have done the project in a way that would have made you comfortable had you taken it on because it, it crossed a line of things that you won't do rather than, uh, you know, rather than taking the money for it and, 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 you know, putting your name on something that you might not be happy with. That makes sense to me. So what are your deal breakers then? You know, well, my deal breakers tend to, be, <laughs> with each client, of course, with each project goes, but one of my biggest, biggest deal breakers are clients who like to micromanage. Um, I am all for, obviously, openness and transparency, and I will be the first to admit that, and you, you know this about, uh, about me, Kimberly, it's very rare that I'll meet somebody that I spend a lot of time with, and unless there's something like materially wrong, <laughs> I usually become your friend. So, so <laughs> with clients, it's, it's, um, it's usually the same. I mean, you're, you're with them so much uh, and, and in their space, in their personal space so much and so often, it's hard not to become friendly with these people. Um, and, and I think that it, it, off the bat, when you're not friendly with them, it's much easier to talk about that micromanaging than when you become more friendly with them because it's almost like, oh, you don't want to friend your friend. Right. So, okay. So give me some examples of how clients micromanage. And then really importantly, how do you stop them from doing those things? Fair, fair enough. So I think one of the biggest micromanaging um, things that I find is clients who want to go with you everywhere to all your trades, to all your stores, right. to, to, you know, want to shop with you constantly. And for some of them, this is, you know, it's like an adventure. And, and I understand that. And for some of them, it's, you know, uh, they, they have the time, maybe one spouse is working and the other is, is, is at home and might, you know, this is a project that the other spouse has taken on. And this is something for them that, that gets them out of the house, that they're able to do something. And, and it, and it's, and it's enjoyable. I can understand, um, I can understand that aspect of it. On the flip side, the way that I deal with that is simple is I say to them, listen, I charge what I charge. If you go shopping with me, it's likely that it's going to take sometimes three, if not four times the amount of time because, right. you know, you're seeing things differently. I'm able to kind of walk through a store quickly, scan. I can more or less know more or less where I want to be in that store and not have to go through each piece because I can already process ahead and see where it is that I'm looking for that piece. Will it work? Will it not? We as designers have an eye, and this is something that we're being paid for, that the, that, that, you know, the end user, the homeowner, might not necessarily have. Mm -hmm. So if, when it comes down to the money, if you can explain to them, I'm going to save you a lot if I can do this on my own. Of course, we're not, you know, we're, we're going to present everything to you, but let me do this on my own. Let me do my thing. And what, let me do the thing that you're paying me for. And, and I promise you'll be happier, A, because you're not going to be charged four times the amount. Mm -hmm. But B, it just done quicker. That's good. That's a good way to get that in line, I think. I will also tell them that I'm happy to go shopping with you after the presentation. After I do the presentation, anything mm -hmm. in there that you want to go and look at, that's great. And then yep. I think that's a perfect conversation you have with them to let them know it's going to cost three times uh, the amount because, uh, and, and I've done it so many times, haven't you, where you've taken the design or the client into a, a shop 
and you just want to show them one sofa and one chair. And before you know it, you're looking at bar stools, you're looking at carpets, you're looking at accessories. Oh my gosh, it's a pool table. Really? You don't even have room for a pool table. What are we doing talking about a pool table here? So true. It's so true. That that actually happened last week. I uh, went into a shop here in Toronto, and uh, there was a beautiful indoor um, shuffleboard table, an antique, beautiful indoor shuffleboard table, which was probably about 10 and a half feet long by whatever it was wide, and they were just fixated on it. And they live in a condo probably 850 <laughs> square feet. So <laughs> it was looking at them like... Eh you know what, let's not waste the money yeah. on staring at this and let's move on. Uh, <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> All right, can you give us another example of a client who wants to micromanage the situation? Uh, yes, I think that um, clients who, who enjoy being on site as things are being done on the daily. So, you know, many of our projects are whether it's from the ground up or from, you know, bringing everything back to the studs and then redoing it, um, there's a process. And, you know, we are always very upfront and honest about what our timelines are. And what we, what we tend to do is we, we will give the entire scope and say our timeline is the finished date is whatever it is. Um, throughout the process, I don't like to give uh, milestone timelines only because you know this as well as I know this. When you're working with construction trades, Time is is this kind of abstract concept to a lot of people. It can be so, flexible. You know, uh, <laughs> There's it, an accordion uh, factor. That's a good way. <laughs> this can be flexible. You know, so oftentimes a contractor will say to you, you know, it's going to be this date, but whether it's through fault of their own or no fault of their own, sometimes, you know, there are just time issues. Things don't necessarily happen at that particular time for that particular part of the project. That doesn't mean that the overall project is going to end any later, but when you have a client who wants to know every single step when that's going to be done and then shows up and says, well, why isn't this done? Why hasn't that been done? It, it, it's, a pro- it, it's, it's, it's a problem. And, and I'll give Ooh, you an example. I'm going to stop you. Um, Can you say it's a problem and then go into I'll give you an example? It was a weird computer yes. sound. You know, it's a problem, and I will give you an example. Uh, I had a client, um, interestingly enough, it was the same client that I had, that I had told the story about at the beginning uh, with the, uh, the pre-furniture purchase, that we had, um, you know, designed a beautiful uh, uh, bathroom for them. And one of the features in the bathroom was full slab showers of a particular, of a particular product. And um, we had the slabs going in on a particular day. And the clients knew that the slabs were going in because they tend to visit, you know, their home on, on, on the day, on a daily basis, which at the end of the day, you cannot tell a client, I mean, it's their home. They can go as many times as they want. But what I would often say to a client is you can visit as many times as you want, but I need for you to not, uh, you know, bring what you can perceive as challenges until you know, you see that we're really coming up to the, cl- because what oftentimes is they'll come up and they'll say, oh, why isn't this done? You said it was going to be done this day. Why is it? We, we've stopped doing that. There, there's no point in doing that. There's no point in promising things that you can't have 100% control over, which right. is the best way to put it. In a way, but, they're kind what, of behaving like they're the project manager when in fact they're not the project manager. There's 50 balls in the air and they're only seeing the physical implementation of you know, two or three balls at a time where you're managing all 50. It, it, you know, exactly. So to, to go back to, to go back to the, uh, to the example, uh, you know, we were having these slabs installed and of course uh, there was a long weekend in between the installer had come and these were two full bathrooms. So there was quite a bit of work to be done. The installer had come and, installed the or started to install the slabs on the wall and this was in a condominium so there are certain condominiums that have rules in terms of working hours so the working hour ended at five this particular condo had a very strict policy at five o'clock there was already security coming and knocking at the door saying okay you guys are done you have to leave for the weekend which was fine and understandable now the stone worker hadn't been able to finish as much work as he had hoped that day, which I knew. And he was very honest and upfront and told me, but this wasn't going to you know, push the project back any. He just had to let me know because I already knew that these clients were going to go into the home. And I wanted to just pre, kind of pre-warn them, please 
you know, there was much more work that needed to be finished today. It, he didn't have the opportunity to, so it won't push the project back any, but, you know, take that with a grain of salt, what you see when you walk in. And unfortunately, they couldn't, um, I guess, see past what I had explained to them. There was really no reasoning with them. And that was the point that they had decided over the long weekend, without consulting me, to hire a different stone company and have them come in over the long weekend, pull out the work that had been done by the previous uh, installer, discard it. Oh, yes. Um, And then call me after the long weekend to say that this has happened and, you know, what are the next steps? Well, of course, you know, you, you, you you can understand that that was, A, a deal breaker, but B, it was more frustrating than anything because sometimes the point is you can try to manage a client right down to the T. These are people. We're dealing with human beings. Everybody has a different kind of perception and personality and sometimes it doesn't matter how stringent you are with people they're going to do what they want to do Mm -hmm. so you have to be strong enough in yourself to say that right there was a deal breaker so you know we have to now look at what we're going to do to finish the things that we can finish and then we have to stop because you know you've you've essentially broken your contract Mm -hmm. um so so you you have to be able to put, uh, I guess, into a clear enough explanation for people. And please, you know, the, the, the listeners who are listening right now, that example is a true example. But, you know, that can often be an example that you can sometimes, if you're having a problem, you know, with, with clients or dealing with within your own firms or within your own studios, use that as an example. I mean, is it, is it an extreme example, you know, by all uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, people just don't normally go in and pull slabs out of a wall. But these these clients were that type of a difficult client. So you have to be able to say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He, basically, you're going to have to, you're, you're going to fire your client now. And and mm-hmm. and I say that and, and people hear that and they say, what, you fire clients? Yes, of course. Sometimes that needs to happen. It goes back to, at the end of the day, my name is paramount. My reputation is paramount. So if I have to fire a client because they've overstepped that so far, that has to be done. Well, I do uh, appreciate that we've all been in a situation. <clears throat> I do appreciate every single one of us has been in a situation where the client was difficult and we were unable yep. to get them back on track. I don't think there's anybody in the industry who hasn't had that happen to them. Um one thing you said that I think is critically important is that you pre-warned them. And we, we call them, you know, managing them. Right. Let, it, let them know in advance, here's what you can expect to happen today or this week. And let them know if any of that is going to fall short of what you have led them to believe is going to be the experience. And if you Absolutely. did all that and they still weren't able to handle it, then you do have a situation where you've got a, maybe a dynamic problem where the two of you are just not a fit. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's okay that two people don't mesh, you know, that for me at the beginning, when I first started out, I think that for me was one of my biggest challenges because through, through the years, Kimberly, you and I, you know, have, have, have become great friends and you know me well, um, not only from business, but also on a personal side. And you know that it, it's very difficult for me for somebody to say, oh, I don't like shy. Well, that just can't be. <laughs> what do you mean you don't <laughs> like me? Everybody likes me. So, so it's okay, you know, as I've matured and as I've matured both in my business sense and as my personal life, I, I no longer worry about the fact that someone may say, I don't, I don't like you or I can't mesh with you. It's okay not to be able to mesh with somebody. That doesn't make you a bad person. doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes you too different to be able to work together. And, 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 and you, you, know, you shouldn't think any less of yourself as a professional and not any less of them perhaps as a person. It just, it, it just wasn't meant to be. No, any relationship is a factor of a dynamic. And the reality is we get along more with some people than other people. Neither one is right or wrong. Um, I get along really, really well with lawyers too uh, as clients. In general, I find that um, they're very logical. They're used to working by the hour. They understand that I can be faster and more efficient if they just let me do my job, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So you do have to kind of know who your ideal client is and figure out how to um, work almost exclusively with that ideal client. I want to go back to the idea of um, managing the clients and 
letting them know what part of the process you're at in terms of the renovation. So in my office, we use the 15 steps. Um, so our language is we the client always has to know which step she's on. And that gives them a lot of comfort. Uh, if they're asking a question about when the drapes are going to get installed, you know, that's step nine. That's not step six, where we are. So how do you make sure the client always knows where they're at in the process and how do you then let them know when it's going to be finished? Right. So, you, I mean, your your fifteen step process is, is you know, I mean, I think that's like the golden rule. I, I, I whether or not you call it your fifteen step process or you have a twenty step, whatever it is for your own studio, I think that that's paramount. And I, I, I think that that is probably the most important thing that you can kind of put in your tool bag uh, when it comes to starting a new project and when it comes to signing your contract. That's something that you're going to want to have somebody sign as well so that there's no miscommunication or misunderstandings about, you know, where, where they are. It's always nice to be able to reference back and say, remember, blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, the number that we're on. Right. Don't be worried because, you know, you should be. Um, with, with, with my studio, um, it's, we do, of course, a weekly update with, uh, with our clients. Um, it, it's, it's, it's something that's quite time-consuming, uh, especially when you have a lot of projects on the go at once. But the amount of time that you save afterwards having to mm-hmm. answer, you know, kind of questions I've, that are, are, are really kind of pointless because, you know, like you say, they're not on a particular uh, part of that project that they're asking about. I find that when you send those out, A, it looks to the client like you, you know, are, even if there wasn't tons of work done that week physically that they've gone into their home and seen, I find that clients know, oh, okay, well, you know, your sofa's being upholstered this week. So, you know, uh, just keep in mind that it's supposed to arrive next week. You haven't heard anything about it because it has, you know, whatever it is, any updates that, that we have from, from our suppliers, uh, we we had lights coming in for one client last week that they had been delayed in customs. The client was away or is away um, overseas uh, and, you know, didn't know the difference. It didn't matter. They were still looking at their, their weekly updates. And we were happy to be able to say, you know, they're being held up in customs, uh, we, you know, until we know exactly the date that we, you know, with customs, you never really know a date. So we're just letting you know, we're keeping updated. And even though they're probably going to be released before they get back and it'll be installed before they're back, mm-hmm. we like them to know that we're on it. So well, the weekly point is the, the point is, isn't it? Sorry, I totally interrupted you. There's just a little bit That's of a delay. Okay. I'm so sorry. The point is you want them to know that you're thinking about them. You're on top of things. And the worst thing uh, is when it's a Saturday evening at 10 p.m. and the client sends you a note and says, what's going on with my, you know, flooring? Um, Those are the worst kinds of emails in the world to get. So your weekly update prevents all that. The client knows that on Thursday afternoon or whenever that update was set, you were fully engulfed in their project you knew what was happening now and you knew what was happening next and therefore they could relax and leave it in your hands. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. Uh, what else do you think you, because you mentioned that um, you, your deal breakers for you were micromanaging and yep. that included the client who wants to go shopping with you uh, all the yep. time or the client who's um, acting as project manager. What are yep. uh, the what things are on the opposite side of the coin? What are those things you're looking for uh, where you can say, wow, this feels like it's going to be a really good fit? You know, I, I find that um, clients who have done a little bit of research before I meet them about me, about my studio, about who I am and what my kind of design aesthetic is. Listen, we as designers will we can and will design most spaces in terms of different design styles, but most of us have a, a favorite kind of design style or something that we prefer doing or or, or that our aesthetic leans to. And I find that a client who has done a little bit of research and knows what makes me different than another designer didn't just, you know, call me because, you know, maybe I was the first name on the list or because they had seen me that day on the show or whatever it was that they know who I am and what my aesthetic is. I find that that is much easier. And when they're able to say to me, you know, I saw this project that you did, or I was on your, your, your site and I saw this in your portfolio, which I really enjoyed. I think that that to me says they know about me, they get it. They understand what they're paying for. And this is going to be a lot easier because they've done that pre kind of pre-selection if you will mm-hmm. um and and the same way that they do that pre-selection 
don't think for one second that I don't research them before. So, you know, with internet now, everybody's on the internet. You can find out a lot about people. And when I get um, from my from my staff, you know, saying uh, an initial consultation has been booked with uh, this person, I'll do a little bit of research and I'll see what I can find out about them. Um, and it's amazing what you can find out online. So, so you know, don't be afraid to also do a little bit of research about your clients, about a potential client. What do you know about them? Or, you know, I, I'm going to go totally out there. Have they been in prison? Have they, you know, what do you know about them? <laughs> Have they had bounced checks? Have, you know, these are all things that you can find out beforehand. Okay, seriously, so, my jaw is dropped. I, you know what, I feel so lame saying this, but I don't ever do that. I never look and see who my clients are. Are you telling me if I look online, I can find out if somebody's bounced checks? So in the U.S., it's a lot easier than in Canada. But yes, you absolutely <laughs> can. So there are... Yeah, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll have to do a little bit of research. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. This is crazy. I wonder how yeah. many people listening are thinking, Kimberly, get with it. Uh, I wonder how many people listening are thinking that, of course, they do some research on potential clients. Yeah, well, I, again, like I say, in, when, when I was in the U.S., it was much easier because the U.S. seems to be a lot more transparent about getting criminal records and things like that online where you can just find everything. Canada is a little bit more difficult. The Middle East is, is a lot more difficult. So, you know, you, use use where you are, your location to your advantage. Um, it, it, even if it's not getting right down to has that person bounced checks or has, have they declared bankruptcy, that's another thing. Have they declared bankruptcy? Is there going to be an issue of payment? I mean, at the end of the day, we're designers and we love what we do. But, you know, at the very end of the day, it's all about it's all about what we're, you know, the money that we're making. I mean, we're, we're, just, we're doing this for a living. We're not doing it, you know, for maybe some of us are doing it just to enjoy, but most of us are doing it for a living. So, you know, things like that are big red flags for me. Oh, this person has declared bankruptcy. This person, has, that might be an issue. If you're declaring bankruptcy, how is it all of a sudden now that you might have money to 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 hire a designer. And of course, I would never, if I do decide to go ahead and, and have that consultation, I wouldn't just, you know, throw that out there right uh, off the top, uh, off the top, but I would prepare questions that could probably walk around that topic without, you know, hitting right on it in terms of budgets and payment schedules. And, and it, it'll bring up things for that initial consultation that maybe I need to concentrate more on or be a little bit more heavy in terms of how, how we talk about that rather than, you know, maybe something that I'm not too, too concerned about. Okay, good. Wow. I never thought of this really good uh, information for sure. We're like, we're speeding to the finish line here in terms of the amount of time we have with you. Of course, I knew it wasn't going to be enough time. Uh, But before we wrap up, I do want to hit you with some rapid fire value bomb questions. I I know. (laughs) So these are just things off the top of your head. Um, And one question I'd like to ask uh, the interior design professionals who come on is, what is your favorite clause in your contract? Oh my goodness! Oh my technical. Guy. <laughs> I have to look up Take my a contract. second. You can think because I put you on the spot. Just think about it. Is oh. there some part of your contract that you think, "Oh my God, that saved me so many times"? Or, um... Um, yes. Okay. You know what my favorite clause is? I think my favorite clause in my contract, and I and I, I won't quote it verbatim because I don't have it in front of me, but uh, deals with uh, change orders. Um, I think that you know clients will. And should, and, 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 and we do talk about that in my contract, uh, have changes that they want to do in the project as the project is moving along. And that can be expected because oftentimes, you know, they might, whatever, whatever the reason is, something comes up and they want to change something. There's a very specific clause in ours that, you know, clients tend to think, oh, I'm just going to make changes. You're the designer. Roll with it. You know, you're going to have to deal with it. There is... Um, almost like a fine, if you will, and for lack of a better word, for uh, more than two change orders up to a certain point along the project scale. So you can make change orders uh, up to a certain point, two, without being charged. Past that, you're charged for it, and you're hit with a pretty hefty fine. So that really, I find, rolls clients in or brings them back and makes them understand that if they're really considering to change something, they're going to think, twice, three times, maybe four times, is it worth it? Because 
I have to make sure that I'm not going to lose any money because of this change, that my, my, my trades aren't losing any money because of the change. And that's why we charge such a hefty fine. Because oftentimes, you know, we're still going to have to pay certain things. Perhaps we've ordered something that, that might be custom. That still has to be paid for. So these are all things that, that um, you know, roll into this. Uh, do I really want to change it? Is it really that necessary? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me do a follow-up question on that then, which is, yeah. do you charge by the hour and if you do charge by the hour, then why do you, wouldn't you just bill them for the changes? Okay, yes. So I do charge by the hour, but we do take an initial retainer. So we, we take an initial retainer with the with when we sign a contract. And um, that initial retainer is kind of to say, it, I don't want to say it's not, uh, we won't take, or it's not worth taking a project that's any less. And we, and I mean, we, I, I don't think it's a hefty retainer. We leave we leave uh, an initial consultation with a check for ten thousand dollars. That's how we start, and we do charge by the hour. That ten thousand um, dollars, that ten thousand dollars, of course, uh, our hourly rate starts to come off of that. But that's not a non-refundable. Meaning that even if the project is a let's say a smaller project and we don't get up to that in terms of the hours, if you were to charge at a two hundred and seventy-five dollar an hour charge. That's the minimum I'm going to leave with it. So when I say, why don't I just charge them for the hours? Charging them for the hours is not enough of a slap on the wrist, if you will, for creating what sometimes a change order creates is is chaos at a certain point in a project. I feel like if I say to a client, well, we're just going to continue to charge it's not enough. I'm still charging them by the hour. They're still getting charged by the hour for that work that we're doing. On top of that, they're getting a slap on the wrist. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Good one. How about this one? Um, Well, you know, this, this one uh, is driven by the topic. What would you say are um, three important things you need to be aware of if you're going to effectively manage your clients? And I'm going to lead you with the first one because you already gave it to us, which is a weekly update or regular updates. I think that's brilliant. You have to let the client know where you're at in the project. Can you give us two more um, examples of something that you think helps you manage the clients regularly? I think one of the big ones um, is, and I'm a little bit old school, apparently, I've been told in this manner, in this respect, but I am still one of those people who, when when I do, after our initial uh, consultation and we do kind of our, our prelim presentation, is I am still very much about the visuals. So when a client says to me, oh, you know, I love your style because I love modern design. Well, I'll look at them and I'll say to them, well, what does that mean to you? And oftentimes they'll tell me something that modern design is not, except maybe to them it is. So I find that uh, one of the key things in terms of being able to manage a client's expectations, especially when they're very kind of specific in using terminology that they might not necessarily understand what that terminology means, is I'll always say to them, I'm going to give you two weeks. You have two weeks to go out and buy as many design catalogs, fashion catalog, whatever it is. I want you to go and buy and rip out things that you enjoy or, or that speak to you that don't necessarily have to do with the project that we're going to be working on. It could be a dress. It could be nature. It could be whatever it is. And then we reconvene. And we always have this one meeting where I call it, uh, I call it kind of our brainstorming meeting. And I, and I sit down with my, and I always take my interns to this because it's so interesting to see a client pull something out and say, I love this because it's traditional. And I'll look at them and I'll say, well, that's not traditional at all. And I'll explain why. And all of a sudden, the expectation of, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, that's actually not my style. My style is this, or my style is this, or my style, it, 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 it opens up something to them and and almost like at the beginning when I said where we had that that conversation where we kind of uh, leave them with questions to see other questions that they want to ask it opens up a conversation and kind of I think manages their expectations of what they thought they were going to get when they said oh I love modern design or I really want my home to be Cape Cod or I really want my home to be mid-century modern well that to you might meant, have meant one thing. I'm now showing you visually that means something totally different. Wow, so, it's true. So, there is a disconnect sometimes between what they say they want and what they show us they want. 
Right, exactly. So I think that that visuals are a big part of it. Um, you know, if, if, if you can take that time and just kind of have that initial thing with them and keep those photos, by the way, when they rip them out of a catalog, you keep them in a file because it, it, it's sometimes nice to be able to refer back to them and say, oh, remember when we pulled this out and, you know, we talked about why it isn't traditional or why it isn't mid-century. It, it, that sometimes needs to be a conversation that will that will be had because it it goes back to what you said, Kimberly, when they're looking at things and not understanding that there's 50 balls in the air or they're looking at something when it's 25% done or when it's 50% done, they can't see, which is why they hire us, they can't see what the, that finished project. I mean, they don't have the vision to be able to really kind of put everything, to know where everything's coming from, put it all together and see what that finished project is going to be, even though they might be looking at a rendering. It's sometimes very hard. So to be able to have that and say, remember when we spoke about this or this was something that you could show, but I explained why it isn't, that's a great way to manage an expectation. Okay. Oh, I like that. Okay. So is there a third one? Hmm. <sighs> yeah. So I think, um, you know, the third one is, is that we – it's important to let the client know that it's not their job to find out where we are in that at that point of the project or where we are during their project. It's our responsibility to make sure that they know where they're at. Yeah. A, it goes back to what you said, Kimberly, you know, making them feel like we are on top of it, making them feel like you might have 50 projects on the go, but it makes them feel like they are the number one client at that point. You've not thought, you've not, you know, missed a week without thinking about them. You are on top of what's happening. You know when the furniture is, you know, you know, you know, basically you know everything. <laughs> and when you're dealing with someone's home, this is something that I learned very quickly off, you know, when I first started. You sometimes don't realize it, um, but you're dealing in someone's personal space. This is often the biggest investment that a person will make in their lifetime. So when you're dealing with someone's home, it becomes very, very personal and very, very touchy. And if they feel like you're not giving them 100%, that can leave them feeling with a really bad, almost like uncared for feeling, almost like a doctor not treating his patient correctly. Right. And, and I think that you know when we do that and we've managed that and we've let them know it's not your job, you get to sit back and enjoy what we're about to do for you it makes them feel like they're on top of the world. I love that. Okay. Well, you have given me some things to think about. Um, you're so <laughs> right that um, the client does some research on us and that's a good thing. And it's possible for us to also do some research before we show at that, up at that consultation. That makes sense to me. And I never I never thought about it. So thank you for you that. You know what? I, I, I'll tell you something. We, we joke all the time about we are marriage counselors. We are psychologists. We are designers. We are a myriad, uh, you know, a myriad number of things. Now we're also private investigators. <laughs> the internet <laughs> has really opened up a whole new world. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. And thank you for sharing your deal breakers. Those, those things that you feel that you just can't work around, but as well, some of the things that you're looking for and finding the clients who are ideal for you. You're a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to seeing you soon. I had a blast. We'll see you soon. 